Welcome to Black, Black Chicks Black Bible Black Study, where we are reclaiming the Bible one book at a time. We're on episode 54, book 54 of the Bible, First Timothy. It's funny because I assumed that this was going to be a book written by Timothy, but it's Me not. too. Yeah. I thought all these books were written by the person yeah. whose name yeah. it was. <laughs> Me too. But apparently not. Apparently this is Paul still writing, but he's just writing to his good friends. I think Timothy's younger, but Paul is a mentor of his and recruited him to help teach at churches. And apparently Timothy's like mother and grandmother are mentioned in 2 Timothy. So maybe we'll learn more about where he came from. But Paul is just encouraging him and telling him how to teach the church and don't let them go astray. And want to listen to those false teachings. Basically, he's a foot soldier for Paul, making sure only Pauline Christianity is spread to the churches. What about our words of faith? From uh, What was yours from last week? So my word of faith from 2 Thessalonians was, uh, <laughs> I liked all that Antichrist talk and the talk about the end of the world and everything. And I was like, I wonder what my biggest antichrists are so I was gonna try and like focus on something that uh <laughs> was holding me back and I did I thought about it a lot I made some notes you know we all have our lists of hang-ups and whatever overthinking self-doubt um self whatever you know all these things that are kind of day-to-day struggles but the biggest thing that was weighing heavily on me <laughs> was antichrist as uh, idolatry. I think as we're going through the Bible and realizing how much I made an idol out of this book, this religion, and Christ himself, when looking now at it, I feel like, oh, I have such a different understanding and view of the world and reality, and it's bigger than me. And um I can't idolize my limited understanding of it, no matter what that is. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, I made a bunch of notes like ego-based superstition, idolizing my own version of goodness, even if that is embodied by Jesus or whatever, Um, Mm -hmm. my own version of goodness and spirituality and thinking I'll be rewarded for compliance. Um, so that's another thing is like, if I don't believe that there's an agent out there in the sky who cares about my individual ego, why would I think that me being good is going to lead to like utopia or something? I can only do my best following the rules of reality, but reality doesn't care about me. Then I just have to align with that instead of idolizing my view of, you know, which is ultimately ego-based. I don't know. (laughs) But I just went into a rabbit hole. I have so many more notes that I'm not going to read out loud. It's just a lot, but. (laughs) One more more note, just one more bullet. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm interested. I'm curious to hear. To finish that one, thinking I'll be rewarded for compliance while actually ignoring the much bigger picture that I'm just a tiny part of. Keep moving forward. Play my role as a part of the whole. Don't seek to be singled out and spared or rewarded. 
um, follow the path to harmony and hope for the best, but know that I'm no exception. Uh, be a part of the body. I wrote, I did write down body because that reminded me of like the body of Christ or the body of the church. And like, if you're an arm, just do the part of the arm and be, you know, part of the whole and don't branch off and think that like, oh, if I'm the best arm of all the arms, like I'll go to arm heaven or something. I don't know. True. No, I think that makes sense. I kind of understand. It's like have a function, you know, and you can do that function well, and that's what you're supposed to do, but it doesn't have to be this thing that's requiring something reciprocal necessarily yeah and it's not a um it's not to be idolized like my own understanding of spirituality or, or my own guru or whatever like that kind of idolatry is going to hold me back from just moving forward and being on the path to harmony and if I don't believe that there's going to be a real antichrist who comes to earth and like battles over my soul and there's going to be this mythical thing like I don't believe all that so I can't think that I'm gonna have some special place and um yeah things happen all the time we always say that freak accidents happen I almost got hit by a car the other day and that was intense hey you almost got hit you said (laughs) Yeah. Carrying groceries, somebody like zoomed around a corner and I had to physically jump back. Oh my and, gosh. Um, I was more embarrassed that I screamed out, oh my God, like so high pitched. And <laughs> I knew people saw and heard me. So that was just a reminder after dwelling on all this stuff. Like I kept telling myself anything could happen to me at any time. Like no one's looking out for me. I just have to survive. And like... <laughs> for that to happen I was like oh damn like that was such a exhibit a of that you know definitely no near-death experiences will do that (laughs) anyway (laughs) that was very long-winded what about you your word of faith testimony I believe it was um having to do with the fact that it was like in that book they're talking about people kind of pulling their weight and like I think I was kind of feeling like I haven't been necessarily trying my best to be my best, you know, these past few days of kind of just, or not few days, but month, (laughs) Um, you know, and just kind of like saying I'll do better or kind of setting these goals, but then not really following through or like trying my hardest to actually meet them. So it was just more about trying harder. And um, I'll have to say, I didn't really try hard. I fell back into these, you know, and it's just kind of like, if anything, I kind of almost gave up just like trying to, I was just like, I'm just going to not try to be better. I'm just going to like get through each day. But I felt like that's all I could do um, also, which sometimes is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, But I think I just mentioned to you, I'm moving soon. So I'm really excited about that. And ever since I got the news that that was going to come through, because it was also something that I really, really wanted. And I did pray on it a lot and wrote it down a lot in my gratitude journal and just kept hoping that this was going to work out. And then um, in my head, I was like, you know what, maybe, you know, if I fast and do something else, it's going to like bring this to me. So I thought to myself, I'm going to fast. And then I was like, I did it for like one day and I was like, I'm not really feeling it. And so I stopped, but I got the apartment anyway. So it made me feel like I'm still doing something to bring good things to me. And then ever since I got that news, now that makes me, it's, it's motivating me to want to try harder because it's like this new place, new energy. And I just feel like enjoying a place like that, like my dream apartment, basically, like I should be the best version of myself living in that apartment. So that's been motivating, um, you know, to be, it's only been a couple of days, but so <laughs> hopefully over the next weeks or so, I'll 
try harder just to yeah get into better habits and you know stop being so just bummy as I feel if that makes sense yeah that makes sense I feel like my effort and my motivation level can um swing drastically for like anywhere from a you know hour to hour or week to week or whatever so yeah I, I will say I felt very like and I don't want to mean this in a derogatory way but I've, I've been feeling very bipolar one like one thing happens and I'm like so on to, I'm so motivated and I can knock this out I'm on it blah 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 and within the same day like just like get out of here and I'm just like and it's been That's like, kind of natural there's an ebb and flow to everything and you know as we know, all of our words of faith are carried on <laughs> into infinity because I feel like none of mine are in the bag or I've totally figured out, you know? <laughs> so. well, like everything is carried over to the next week. I'm still trying. They're just piling on at this point. You know what? We're setting the intentions. Start somewhere, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but this first Timothy gave me, um, I really liked a lot of the language in it in terms of like fighting the good fight, keeping the faith, all of that. There is so much wording in there that I was like, yes. So I should say the authorship is like the people who don't think that Paul wrote this in the next couple books, they have more um, support in that belief in this case than usual. Um, like a lot of scholars agree that he probably didn't. Um, it was written maybe sometime late first century, early second century. Uh, so yeah, that's what we know about it. How did you feel and what did you think of chapter one? I liked it because it was kind of, I just felt very businessy, like, you know, like, let's get down to business, you know, basically, you know, if Paul did write this, you know, he's asking, you know, his friend Timothy kind of just to like, you know he's, he's he's suggesting where are they is it like Ephesus or yeah Ephesus something like that a church that um Paul or Timothy is helping Paul oversee or Paul is watching him lead it from afar or something and basically yeah this chapter is just kind of urging him to like keep their teachings you know like enforce their teachings and stuff and not kind of let this church be like swayed by these other you know false prophets that have been coming around or not even false prophets, but just other, you know, people who are wanting to lead or be leaders in church, but are teaching a different lesson or a different message than what Paul's been trying to teach. I like that he's telling them, telling him, don't let them be led astray. And then also in verse four, and not to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies that promote speculations rather than the divine training that is known by faith. Um, it's really funny that he's like telling them, don't get caught up in all the details and the genealogies and all the, you know. Um, questions. <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> don't have too many questions or thoughts have your faith, go with it, and know things that way. Like, don't get bogged down in all the details, which is like, you know, it's funny because he's indoct he's literally indoctrinating them, like creating doctrine, hammering it in, forbidding any, um, you know, any alternate teachings. He's literally indoctrinating, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, for spiritual knowledge, like, don't get too bogged down. None of us really know everything or anything at all. Like just <laughs> keep your faith and have a pure heart. Like it talks about having a, a pure heart and a good conscience. I don't know. I just like that idea of like, have that core of belief and faith and go forward and don't get too 
heady about it, <laughs> even though we're, you know, we all enjoy philosophizing and all that and learning. Like advance, there's business to be done. Just keep moving. Don't get stuck. Exactly. Um, I like verse eight where he says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. I just like that one little sentence because it just made me think of like the world and how, yeah, laws have been ideally created to, you know, for the greater good and to help people, but that isn't necessarily always the case. So I don't know. I just kind of like the idea that like they're touching on the fact that like we have tools and things like that, but like at the end of the day, all of these tools can also be used improperly. So like even a law could be like a weapon or something yielded wrong. Yeah. I just kind of like that he brought that up, you know, like law is good, but only if used properly, which I think applies to a lot of stuff in the world. Yep. Nine says, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers or for murderers. The idea that like laws are for people who need them, you know, it's like to think that like maybe the default person is a good person and just goes around and they don't do things like they're not even thinking about killing people or stealing. I liked how he said it's for the lawbreakers, not the righteous. Like that's who the laws are really for because they're the ones who are kind of going against the grain or the moral code or whatever, you know, is going on at the time. Yeah. I like that he immediately kind of implicates himself there. He's like, I'm someone who like needed grace and mercy and all that. So Mm -hmm. he says, I'm grateful to Christ Jesus who strengthened me. He judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, man of violence. Um, So Because it's like, you don't forget your past, you know? Yep. Um, and he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I like that uh, giving each other and giving ourselves mercy in like day-to-day life because anything we've done that was like not up to par has been kind of done. I feel like we all are technically doing our best with what we know at the time. Like, even if we know something in our head, it's like, no, we don't technically in our heart or like deep down know it or else we would operate on that belief. So like you have to kind of give and get mercy based on your own ignorance at the time. (laughs) Like I technically know the right thing to do all the time in terms of being like the healthiest. Like if we only talk about like on the physical plane, like drinking water. Yeah. Like I know I could drink a gallon a day of water or whatever, or even things that like socially I would have handled different years ago, or I would have been a different type of person or more likable. Like I didn't really get it at the time, or I didn't really get reality or what I was operating in or how to, you know, the rules of the game or whatever. And if I did, I kind of um, snub my nose at them. But so it's like, I have to have mercy for that person who, like we, if we are that person to each other, or if we give mercy to each other, it's just better. We're all trying to grow and we're not perfect, kind of. Right. Like everybody's trying their best, even if they're not, (laughs) they don't don't really know how to try their best and there's still some lacking there. But that's one thing about like, the thing about not idolizing 
spirituality or Christ is like, I can only try and live in accordance with certain things. And like these ideas that I'm thinking about them of like, oh, Jesus, when he says, Jesus gave me mercy, I'm thinking, well, the whole point of Jesus is trying to teach people how to live and how to be like him. So that made me feel a little convicted too while reading it. Like, okay, I can have more mercy for my former sinner self or whatever, my former mm-hmm. self caught up in whatever, you know, self-sabotage. I think um, verse 16, he's like, cause when he says for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So kind of like what you're saying, like maybe we just need to be patient with each other. Like obviously we're all kind of trying our best and if we're not trying our best, maybe that is even our best <laughs> at that moment because that's what we're doing. So um, yeah, maybe just being patient with each other, not you know writing people off right away just because maybe we're have a deeper understanding of what we think is a deeper understanding of how the world is supposed to be. Yep, exactly. I, uh, but then again, he's going, he's going to have some harsh words and reproaches and rules and everything. So it's not like you just are open season and everybody can do whatever they want to each other all the time. But, um, so there's some like harsh boundaries and guidelines and all that, but you can't have all that without the mercy. I just liked in 18 that he said, I'm giving you these instructions in accordance with the prophecies made earlier about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Mm -hmm. And then he said, by rejecting conscience, certain people have suffered shipwreck in the faith. Um, Oh yeah, this takes a sharp turn at the very end of chapter one. Among them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have turned over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. I like, yeah, call those two out. <laughs> From all this talk about mercy into, I turned these two particular men over to Satan. I think it's always interesting too, yeah, because like we talked about, I think the last episode, how I was saying, I thought there was so much more mention of the devil and Satan, but there's not. So like, yeah, it's just always interesting when they specifically call out Satan. But yeah, turn them over, go rot with, with Satan. I guess when you see someone maybe in your life going over to the dark side or whatever their dark side is, you're kind of like, okay, well, gonna leave you to, but just the idea, the idea of like turning some, like as if Paul had that power to like, I've turned them over to the enemy, you know? His patience just ran out, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, chapter two. In every place, the men should pray. This is in verse eight, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, which is great. And then verse nine, all about women and how they should dress and not dress. And then that they should do good works. A lot of rules for the women. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it says women should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. It just reminds me of the stuff that like some men say, you know, women should be seen and not hurt. (laughs) Reading that, that's pretty much what I got out of that. It just sounds like he's salty to me because he also says like later, you know, that it was Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So it's like basically we're being punished because we were started all of this shit in the first place. So now, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I was like, you guys sound salty. 
I remember that chapter two, verse 12, I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. I remember that. Um, and she is to keep silent, just struggling with that, grappling with that verse growing up. And, you know, uh, I think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but just the idea that like, either he really thought that wasn't the place of women or just at the time it wasn't, and it was more expeditious or more efficient to have them. You're taking up time. (laughs) Right. Like, because they were considered, we, we women were considered possessions at the time or kind of like liabilities. And he's more concerned about how women were dressed and what jewelry they wore so they wouldn't attract the wrong kind of attention or give off the wrong image and also be quiet. Like, if he really is just talking about the rules of the day, he's not doing enough to say like, oh, but one day they'll be at like... Jesus wants us to educate them so that one day they can teach. I don't think that's um, Yeah, they, he didn't have the foresight or apparently the spiritual insight to include that here. Um, but yeah, he does blame Eve for sure. And then not only does he blame Eve, he says in verse 14 about women, yet she will be saved through childbearing provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. So as a woman, you have to be modest, holy, faithful, and have all these good deeds and have children. Yes. To be justified. All the barren women, I guess they just don't get saved. They got to wait until a miracle from God helping them, you know, they have to be with child at some point. I'm sure there was a path for them to salvation, um, but it just right here isn't really painful. Yeah, I mean, they're saying through childbearing. Um, I'm sure there's other ways, especially because I am um, actually speaking of being saved. Earlier in verse four, I thought this was interesting. He says that um, talking about God, he said God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, which I thought was interesting because I thought that was a different message than what we've gotten in the past where it's kind of like this predetermined thing about who's getting saved and who's not like there's a count this many people are going to be saved so I don't know reading that I thought it was a little bit contradictory to everything else that has kind of been said about you know who's going to be saved and who goes to heaven and things like that it's like here he's saying God wants everybody to be saved but in the past I feel like we've read that not everybody's going to be saved Yeah, it seems like there's a little dissonance, like cognitive. I'm sure at the time, like Paul and his ilk and whoever wrote this, they were very conflicted between the entire sum of the goodness of the universe wants everyone to thrive. But we look around and so many people are not and never will be. So it must be fate that only a portion of us will be saved in the end. And they're seeing people die and be condemned. And to me, that just is like a reflection of like all the harmony and goodness in life would want everyone to be their best to them. But a lot of us just don't make it in one one way or another. So I guess, yeah, just because you want something doesn't mean that happens. Yeah, they're making God into... God is like fate basically here, even though God is supposed to be this person who can decide, like he can make it so that everyone's okay and finds him, but they're speaking very fatalistically because they also like live real life, I guess. I don't know. Chapter three, going into how bishops and deacons should operate within the church. It was just a bunch of rules. I felt like 
to me, but um, I don't know what I did find interesting though. I did like the idea um, he says in verse four about, you know, becoming like a uh, bishop or deacon. He says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? I was really into that idea of, yeah, the whole like tend to your own garden before you can like help anyone else, you know, kind of. Yeah. The, the thing is, I feel like with the religious order here, I guess that might be why I have a problem or um, where those religious orders and hierarchies kind of get into trouble because the people who I look up to and like get inspiration from, it's not like any of them are perfect and everybody's tending to their own garden in real time. And all we can do is try you know, to tend the best garden and do our best and live by example, but nobody's going to be it beyond reproach. But yeah, that's a good idea. I feel um, like it's also just like, you know, yeah, no one's going to be perfect, but it's also like, you know, have your shit in order first, because that's how you're going to be most helpful. It's, it's like kind of like the blind leading the blind type thing. That's not going to help anyone. Yeah, I just have an issue in general, I guess, with like religious leadership as a thing, because spiritually, I don't know there. I don't know of many people that I would like the people I would look up in that look up to in that way would never become a teacher or leader, but the people who do become a teacher or leader. Yeah. They have a heavier burden to maintain all these like moral <laughs> um, things that they were so specific, like married only once temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable app teacher. All those are great things. Mm -hmm. Not a drunkard. I think all of these are reasonable not yeah. violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. I mean, it'd be bad to have a leader of any, like even a country or something who doesn't have these qualities. And right. then not a lover of money. I loved that. Right. But yeah, that kind of uh, all the all the fundamentalist, like televangelist Christian preachers out to make a buck today. I mean, they didn't read this chapter. <laughs> I guess not. And then it talks about verse 11, women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, why, uh, whatever, like specifically telling women not to slander as if. That's all we do. Stop your gossiping, bitches. Uh, <laughs> be temperate. Keep, don't be crazy. <laughs> I kind of like the end. I don't know why. I just like how it says, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And I guess the truth is that he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. I liked it. It just felt like a very nice little summary of Jesus and this whole story. I love that they use the word mystery too. I just loved that, that because I feel like we haven't really read that word much if at all in past books but just the word mystery is amazing because I think spirituality is a mystery and that's what we all have to reckon with the mystery of reality the universe existence and then our own yearning and our spirituality and our need to you know worship something and our all of this but then the way that they boil it down is 
really specific. It's like they say the word mystery, but then they say this particular man who um, was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, like their story doesn't leave a whole ton of mystery, but it is like magical. So like that's the mystery to them. It's like he is the mystery embodied. Um, anyway, good to good to carry that mystery in our hearts. The mystery of everything. The mystery that was solved by the man coming in flesh, being vindicated, being seen. So all the mystery of existence is already yes. solved. <laughs> exactly. In the year 33, AD 33. <laughs> yes. Chapter four. Talking about people following demons. I guess we're kind of going back to like the idea, like in the beginning, he's talking, telling Paul, not Paul, Timothy to like, you know, make sure they're not following these you know other teachings and stuff like that so I feel like he's kind of circling back to that idea he like starts it off by saying uh the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience has been seared as with a hot iron it goes on to say some of these people teaching these crazy crazy things are saying that they're forbidding people to get married, they're ordering them to abstain from certain foods, but it says God created all foods to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Saying that, you know, there's no restraints as far as foods and stuff and everything that, you know, God put on this earth is good for us if, if we want to partake is very different than what they were talking about in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. and there were very specific rules about what to eat, what not to eat, four-legged creatures and hooves things in that so well we've thankfully they've he's got some preoccupation with food though he always brings up the food, the food. but if it's not paul writing whoever's writing this also that was like just in general like this was a very big fixation of what was holy to eat and not and when you think about it back in the old testament days obviously i mean we've talked about this just the cleanliness issue and parasites and all of that that they had to worry about and didn't know how to regulate at the time or deal with. So, you know, you needed some prohibition and now we've evolved to this point. And now Paul wants to eat his pork. Let him have it. I just kind of also like um, verse eight where he says, well, I'll start at seven. He says, have nothing to do with God. Like these people have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I don't know. I just read that and I thought that's pretty good. You know, like I felt like, yeah, a lot of times we make these goals and they might be physical goals. You know, we want to be in shape. We want to, you know, do all that. And yeah, all that stuff's great. But it's also like you have to also remember your like values and your godliness goals too, or your spiritual goals, because those are going to carry even further. You know, like if you do believe in afterlife or something else down the road so I don't know I just kind of like that it's it, just the idea that like yeah you got to take care of your physical well-being but take care of your mind as well like you got it yeah and your spirit and your heart mm -hmm. even if there is no life after this life to come our life to come is whatever results from our actions now so we're always building the life we're gonna have until we die and that's the only one I know about so yeah, I did highlight the last part too the last verse says, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What you do has an effect on, you know, even if there is no afterlife, 
you're here, you're interacting with people and what you do, the things you say, how you behave is still going to like carry on, even if it is just from one person, like, you know, you're transferring that energy to, you know, someone else, or maybe you're, you know, I don't know if you do a good deed, maybe that's also going to like turn into another, you know, good deed. I think we mentioned it before, like, but yeah, just like basically focus on being the best version of yourself, because that's really the only way that you're going to you know, be better for others and like optimize the good that you can do in the world. So yep. chapter five, all about the, the widows and the elders. The first part, I just highlighted that first, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I think that's great. That's simple to people like your family. I think that's a good baseline for people, you know, like just have respect, you know, for your elders, respect for the younger generation as well. We don't like, I love the thing about the internet where you don't always know somebody's age. Everybody's weighing in and hashing it out with each other and or encouraging each other. And sometimes I'll like read Reddit or something and I'll see comments from people who I mean, we all just seem the same age in my head. And then somebody will say, I'm 70 years old and do it. And it always shocks me. Like, what? They're so with it or so like <laughs> hip to this conversation. And you never know how I old do. someone is. So I love that equalizer kind of leveler effect that that has had on our society. But then I also do get upset that we like don't look at people as our elders or have a sense of respect for that as much anymore it's like okay boomer like it's so dismissive yeah, like I don't know I feel like there's got to be some kind of like just general respect that people like it's just you've lived here you know like just even if you're the worst possible person in the world or the I don't know not the greatest just the fact that you've been alive longer than you know you obviously know some you know like there's got to be something that like I don't know, there's a certain wisdom or a certain kudos that I just feel like those people inherently need to get. They've literally been in the game longer so we can learn learn some of the, I mean, still use our discernment. We all know older people who are idiots or <laughs> completely hateful or lost, but it might be humbling to them still to give just that amount of respect that is, you know, with all due respect for, you know, your age, like still treat right. them lovingly. I always think that's the right approach yeah. anyway in most circumstances. Yeah, and I think even if it's a thing where maybe they have some old fashioned beliefs or they aren't the best, it's just kind of like you can just respectfully decline to keep talking to them. The whole thing about uh, widows and whether it was a real widow or a fake widow and young or old, that was like extremely entertaining for me to read. No, I don't know about you. Very specific, like what widows actually <laughs> qualify for help and which ones don't. Yeah, because apparently the church would just support you as, a, you know, if you lost your head of household and couldn't provide, you could come to the church to kind of be taken care of. So they had, he references a list, yeah. like in verse nine, let a widow be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old and has been married only once. So they have a list of like dependent widows who I guess people would fight to get on that list. Right. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting because it was basically saying that the widows who are under 60, they don't really need that help because younger widows do not put them on the list for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going on and going out about the house from house to house 
And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So just because you're under 60, it means you're still hot in the butt. You just want to go out, get married to someone else. You go around just talking smack. So you don't deserve to be <laughs> taken care of, which I thought was kind of funny that you're 60, apparently you lose your sexual desires. <laughs> yeah. And you're able to ask for help because you don't care about, you know, going out and getting, but these young women, they're going to just get married anyway to someone else that can take care of them. So we don't need to take care of them. That he's so shameless about wanting to nip this in the bud. Like how he talks about it is so shameless after he says, um, they're also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. Verse 14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children and manage their households. So as to give the adversary no occasion to revile us. So instead of letting them go rogue and run wild out in the streets and bring a bad name to our church and <laughs> gossip and just spread themselves around, we got to have them contained and got to let them go get married and have families. Like, don't let them, don't let her be a ward of the church or whatever, because she's going to ruin our rep. It's like not a spiritually motivated thing as much as like very practical, of like their reputation and like the bottom line, like let a guy take care of her. That's what she's going to be out looking for. Oh, to be a woman at this time. Oh my gosh. Oh my just think circumstance, think everything that we weren't born in that time. Cause a lot of women just like us were, and they had to deal with like, it's just such a different reality. Um, and it is still somewhat like this in different communities around the world, I would imagine. I like um, verse 21. I don't know why. I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Maybe I just like the idea that like these apply to all people. Like, I don't care if you like this 59 year old widow, she's not 60. Follow these rules. We're not playing favorites here. And then I had um, 20 right before that. And as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest also may stand in fear. Just the way that was said, like he wants people Probably. to be standing literally in fear, watching someone be castigated in front of the group. Public humiliation works wonders. Whew. I like 23. I thought that was just funny. Mm -hmm. He says, stop drinking only water. Oh, I'm doing something right, Lord. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So it's okay to drink wine if you're sick. This is, you know, because I guess so. Through the illness. I mean, I don't take ibuprofen really and over the counter drugs for my cramps. I drink wine. So I'm doing the right thing, I believe. I just was very happy to see that written in the Bible. And all this like food and drink stuff is supposed to be a, um, personal matter between you and God and all that so it's funny that we have this little mentor moment of um have a little wine every now and then <laughs> maybe he's telling Timothy because Timothy has been too overly pure or whatever with the food and the drink <laughs> 24 and 25 right after that the sins of some people are conspicuous and precede them to judgment while the sins of others follow them there so also good works are conspicuous, and even when they are not, they cannot remain hidden. That kind of reminds me of what you were saying before of like doing good works that kind of like, even if it's not in full view or whatever, doing good things hopefully will get out there somehow. This is kind of what he would tell people to help them keep the faith of like, 
even when things are not done out in the open, even when they're not super visible, they can't remain hidden. Like, good, you know, the cream is going to rise to the top kind of thing. And that's always a comforting thought. Yeah, I like that too. It's also this idea too, is like kind of that you just don't know what's going on behind the scenes, good and bad, you know, like I read it too as like, maybe being slower to judge and, you know, cause, cause not all everyone is out here being a, you know, philanthropist donating millions of dollars at a time, but that doesn't mean that these other good things aren't going on behind the scenes. They just don't make it public. And then one day it'll have to come out because somebody else tells stories about them when they die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then vice versa too, though, like just because some people are clearly evil, you know, and they're doing really evil things in front of your face. You could also be sitting next to someone who's doing some evil stuff you might not know about until later down the road. Yeah, that's basically what he's saying here of like some people you judge them and then you see their sin. Some people you see their sin and then you judge like it's yeah. What about chapter six? This is for the slaves of the world. Oh my gosh. At the beginning of this chapter, I was so over reading about slaves and masters and yeah, I wasn't really feeling this um, chapter too much. Basically, he also says to, you know, for slaves to work even harder if their master is a Christian. Like what? <laughs> okay. Yeah, he says, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Yep, nice thought uh, in a, I mean, but in a perfect world, these power dynamics would not exist. Owning of people would not exist. But within that world, I guess that's a nice thought is if my master's a believer, hopefully they'll be kinder and better to me, but I'm sure it did not always work out that way. As we actually know to be a fact, it didn't work out that way. I'm like, oh, I'm sure it didn't, but we know it didn't. <laughs> Why the opposite the Bible made them even worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yep. But, That's uh, so true. Made it even worse than it would have been. But um, oof. When I feel a spiritual or when I feel spiritually on the same page with someone and I feel like I can relate to that, I am gonna kind of work harder. For the, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I don't ever, ever like having anybody who's like got power over me. I hate that feeling <laughs> so much, <laughs> um, but it helps if they're, but sometimes it hurts too. But I think it's just that, you know, generally you would want to, you're more apt to help someone who's, you know, on the same page or has some of the same beliefs as you versus someone who's just an asshole. So like, I mean, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to go out of my way much more for someone who is nice or who I think is actually trying to like help or do work versus the person who I think is just a piece of crap, you know, so. Um, yeah, but it can definitely be exploited <laughs> for sure. Your goodwill, your goodwill can be exploited. As we see, it's a cult, a cult tactic. Yeah. Anyway, and then he goes into how all the people who believe in the false teachings, he says in verse three, whoever teaches otherwise does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, they're conceited, understanding nothing. <laughs> they have a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words, calling them depraved. So anyone who just doesn't believe in their version of this gospel is like, oh my gosh, they stand for nothing. They only want to fight. It sounds like suppressants. 
when those churches name people suppressive okay. yeah like the scientology people and they call you a suppressive person you're like an enemy of the church basically mm -hmm. i like verse seven because it just reminds you of like everything your parents say like he says for we bought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it it's like the opposite of your parents being like i bought you into this world and i will take you out mm -hmm. i like the idea yeah like we honestly didn't really do anything like we didn't like everything that's here was already here. Like we might be uh, manipulating, you know, things or um, using things in a way or building off of what's already here, but it's not like we created anything, you know, it was all already here, except for sin apparently, because that was Eve's fault. She created that, but <laughs> before <laughs> she created sin, but um, before that, I don't know. I don't know why I like that idea, but. I liked it because he's trying to, to drive home the point that like we should be content with what we have. He's saying um, in verse eight, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. So we're lucky to even get that. It's weird because I'm in that mindset kind of by default and then I, I'm trying to overcome it. But on the other hand, I'll also remind myself like until I create something worthy of it, I, I have to just be worthy of more or whatever like until I earn way more I have to be content with having anything like but I don't know it's it's a nice thought just reminding people to not seek after the wrong thing because here's where we get that whole idea about the love of money and money being the root of all evil and people misquote it all the time mm -hmm. number nine well I had nine and ten it's those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction where the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs so yeah don't chase the paper you're gonna end up you know maybe harming yourself and then and ending up with grief and like they say, more money, more problems. So <laughs> I think that's what this is saying here sometimes, yeah. But all those Old Testament kings who are completely idolized and we're still supposed to look up to just had these like grand epic fortunes and humongous castles and all the gold, everything. They completely were seeking riches. But I mean, this isn't the reality because like, Christian leaders have sought riches over the years and over the centuries um, in a greedy way, but it is nice, the idea, reading it, I would try and get the sense of like, oh, the riches are just an outward manifestation of their riches and wisdom and spiritual fullness and abundance and money's just a symbol, but to fall in love with it for its own sake and to chase it is yeah that's the root of all kinds of evil which we see to be true in real life and it can be demoralizing to only chase money yeah for some people money is their god and that's when it's wrong yeah but people always quote that as like money's the root of all evil and that's not the quote at all <laughs> yeah i like 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I don't know if you think about it like that, I kind of like it, if you're like weighing it as a bet, it's like, this is a more of a short thing. Money is so uncertain. You could have it today and lose it all tomorrow, but put your faith in God. He's there all the time. You know, I don't know. I just like that comparison. Yep. 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 I do too. If you do do that, then you're going to get everything you need anyway. So 
Um, yeah, money's just a byproduct yeah. of better things. It's literally just a tool and a byproduct and should never be the goal in itself. So yeah, how do you feel? And can we think of some words of faith? I had one, I can't remember. I, ha I had something in mind when we were reading, I forgot it already. I'm gonna look back and see if I can remember what triggered me. But what about you? Do you have anything you can think of? I need to be more merciful and forgiving to myself and others. I think I just need to stop with the harsh self-talk, um, take better care of myself. I am almost a week into kind of a cleanse. 85 or 90% of my intake has been like just kale smoothies and fruit, like with fruit mixed in oh. sometimes. And so really trying to start over and eat healthier. And um, do you notice anything? Have you yeah, I did not. I didn't realize like how different I would feel. And I know you would do these cleanses a lot and I would be like, what? I don't get it. Like I got it, but I didn't get like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I thought, oh, it's so unhealthy and stuff. And I did feel after a few days, okay, I should eat a raw salad. I should eat an actual yeah. salad or I would eat pieces of fruit. Something like nutritious though. You were crazy. Like you weren't like, oh, I need to eat this bag of Cheetos. Cause it was like, you felt right. And now, and last night I had that, I had like a veggie pasta with feta cheese mixed in and it felt like the most delicious, right? <laughs> yeah, it was so good, but it felt like the most decadent thing that now to think about eating like a plate of cheese fries or something, I can't even imagine it. I'm like, like theoretically, that's like my favorite food, you know? <laughs> so. That's like my first thing after a fast is always just literally how good every, like it literally is just, and I hate that I always end up kind of falling off of the healthy, you know, food train. Cause it's like, I, I don't know how to kind of yet I haven't mastered the like have a little bad, you know, and not then let that become the dominant, you know, thing that you're eating. But it's literally like after it, like seriously, like just tasting a piece of like, it's always, like just broccoli. It's so good. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Everything is like nectar, like so good. so good. And that's like my favorite thing. And it feels good. Cause it's like, it also, taste good but then it just I literally just feel lighter you know like I don't the oil and whatever just kind of make like I feel like it really makes you groggy like that's why I, I just always feel lazier I literally feel like I'm sluggish versus like yeah but it's literally in the beginning I feel like I get like this high like oh yeah it makes you hot it made me high for sure like a lot lighter the mental clarity like for the first few days it, it was like rough at first and then I reached a point maybe on day four where I was like oh my gosh I feel like I'm in active meditation all day every day and so little irritability I just like go with the flow so maybe it's helping me um be easier on myself just feeling better and being like oh okay I need to really watch um my I already am gluten-free and all that because of allergies, whatever, but it makes me think like, okay, maybe I can cut out corn too and corn products and whatever it is. Like, uh, I don't want to be triggering either because I heard like eating disorders have gotten worse under COVID and everybody's, you know, got their food issues. We all have various struggles. So I just know for me, I want to feel like I'm eating cleaner more consistently and I'm prepared to have mercy on myself. However, that, um, however, I end up finding balance. That's just one area, but there and professionally and everywhere, just 
know that I'm a human and I'm working with humans and we're all, <laughs> we all just need to go easy on each other and make it through. True story. Amen. Amen. What about you? I figured out what I was, I was looking back at the stuff at it. And I think I'm going to go with in chapter four, that whole like thing about, you know, the physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So just, yeah, trying to be more focused, I guess, or mindful of the like spiritual, I guess, training as well. And just relying on that to hopefully, I don't know, have an effect, you know, like, I don't know, sometimes I do try to practice, you know, like I think I mentioned before, you know, I got a gratitude journal and little things like that. Like I've been trying to be a little bit more mindful and practice a bit more spiritual things, but just maybe kicking it up a notch too and like tapping into that more instead of just always trying to maybe fizz, feel like physically I want to be, you know, stronger in shape. But yeah, just, but yeah. So I think I, that, that in a concrete way, I'll just say I'm going to do more spiritual exercises. Cool. And um, you do yoga, right? Regularly. So that is part yeah. of it, right? That'll be good. And yeah, for sure. your prayer and gratitude. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then guess what? Next time we're going to read Second um, Timothy, which has your favorite verse in it. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm dancing. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what it is. I'll tell you. And then I also decided, well, maybe I'll make this reveal later. I'll save it. I, I, there's something that I decided to do around this verse as well. So I'll see. <gasps> okay. Is it going to be your word of faith or is it something else that you decided to do? Okay. That's quite, that might be the biggest cliffhanger we've ever right. had on BCBS. <laughs> right. So you have to listen next week. Uh, Everyone, um, we're at bcbspodcast at gmail.com. Please don't overload our um, servers and the Gmail, like the storage capacity, like yes. flooding us with questions about this cliffhanger. <laughs> but um, if you hear this early, like right after we drop, maybe you'll have time to like write in and guess what it is. Yeah, um, that would be fun. And thank you all for listening. Everybody stay strong, keep the faith, fight the good fight, as Paul or this author says. Um, no matter who said it, it's true. And we'll be back in two Sabbaths with Black, Black Chicks Bible Study.